0: and uh, I love songs about grace and I love to hear songs about grace they, they take us uh, from a place of entitlement uh, to a place of humility and a expectation of what, who God is and what He has done and what He is doing and how much we appreciate it and how much we love it. So um, it's, it's good to think about His grace coming down and covering us. Amen? All right, okay. Are you grateful for that tonight? Is that what keeps you going? And the amazing grace, truly amazing grace of our, of our Savior. Well, tonight um, we're going to be talking uh, from Psalm 41, about something that we may not be so thankful for and so grateful for in in most cases. And that is consequences. Consequences are things that uh, happen when we do things. Things that we have to deal with when we have done something. And this is also a psalm of betrayal, which we're not really all that excited about that either. Uh, Hopefully we're not excited about being the betrayer and probably not excited about being betrayed. So we're going to talk a little bit about some of these things and, and how they fit into David's life and, and how he dealt with these things and how we can do the same, same thing. And I was uh, reading about a little girl who was not being a very good little girl. And one day her mother said, Listen here, young lady, if you don't quit acting the way that you're acting, you're, you're going to be sorry and you're going to have to live with the consequences. And she got this mortified look on her face. She was scared to death. And she said, Mom, She goes, I don't want to live with the consequences. I want to live with you. (laughs) But she was learning a lesson that consequences are something that we all have to live with. And we all have to deal with it sometime. And everybody, I think, understands this. Uh, We probably have heard of Robert Louis Stevenson. And he said one time that everybody sooner or later will sit down to a banquet of consequences. And I certainly, that would probably be the day that I would like to start a diet. How about you? I'm just not interested in any of that. But when you think about David and you think of consequences, we automatically will think of that, that one big sin that everybody knows about. And we know the big sin, and that's the sin that he committed with Bathsheba. And he had the inappropriate relationship with her. And because of that, there was a child that was going to come into the picture. And so uh, we know how when we commit one sin, it's so easy to commit another sin. And before you know it, there's another sin, and then there's a string of sins. And David thought that, well, I'll, I'll just take my husband, and I'll put him on the front line of battle and make sure that he's killed and try to cover this thing up and try to turn this thing around in, into my favor, which is what we sometimes get caught up in too when we have messed up and we've made mistakes and we see the consequences that could come down the line as a result of what we've done, we might try to start manipulating and changing things so that things don't happen that way. And that's kind of, I think, what David was doing. And he was trying to, to, to manipulate the situation uh, to make it better for himself. Now, eventually, he realized the error of his ways, and he did repent. He, was, he asked for forgiveness. He was sorry for what he had done, and he realized it was, it was not a good thing that he had done. But still... He was going to have to deal with the what? Deal with the consequences. And what so what were those consequences? What what happened? And that's kind of what this psalm talks about a little bit uh, that we're getting ready to read here in just a few minutes. But in the 2nd Samuel, uh, the second chapter of Samuel, uh, we're going to read, we're not going to read there tonight, but you can read about what happened and how it all took place. And the prophet Nathan told David, uh, he, he said, Your sin's been forgiven, but the sword will never depart from your house. The sword will never depart from your house. See, David had, had messed up a, a house. David had messed up a family when he committed this sin. And he was going to find out that the same thing, his family was going to get messed up, and his house was going to get messed up as well. And it was going to take place very clearly and very painfully through his son, Absalom. Now, Absalom, uh, according to Scripture, according to, uh, I think it was, well, also in 2 Samuel, he was the third, and we're going to go ahead and say it, he was the favorite child of David. And he was also, according to the 14th chapter of 2 Samuel, he was the most handsome The most handsome man in the whole kingdom. Uh, So this was somebody that everybody probably liked, everybody knew, everybody liked to look at him. Very popular kind of fellow. And the bad thing is Absalom decided one day that he wanted to rebel against his father. And so he made a bid for the throne, he wanted to be crowned king. uh, And he got a lot of support from himself, talking among the common people, promising them uh, justice. And so he had a plan to betray his father, and it was working really well because the people in, of Israel and Judah were were backing him in groves. They were they were supporting him to the point that there were only a few of David's really close friends that were still sticking close to him. And so it got to the point where David had, of course, to flee and he had to hide. And again, that story plays out in uh, like the eleven through 16th chapter of 2 Samuel, and you, you could read about that. We're all probably familiar with that at some point. But that's kind of the background for the, for the psalm that we're going to read tonight, the rebellion of Absalom. And even though you think about that, you know, things could have been a whole lot different. And don't we like to sometimes sit and think, boy, and th- this is not always a good idea. To sit back and think, think, if only I hadn't done this, or if only I hadn't done that. And and how could things be different? And haven't you had, had that thought about Adam and Eve before? You know, if they'd only just listened to God and, and hadn't eaten of the if only David hadn't done this, how things would have been different in his house, his household. But even though things were bad, and even though they were they were sad. This psalm kind of starts off on a positive note. So let's go ahead and read uh, Psalm 41. We're going to read the whole chapter, and there's 13 verses. Verse number 1. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. The Lord will preserve him and keep him alive, and he shall be blessed upon the earth. And thou wilt not deliver him unto the will of his enemies. The Lord will strengthen him upon the languishing, thou wilt make all his bed in his sickness. I said, Lord, be merciful unto me, heal my soul, for I have sinned against thee. Mine enemies speak evil of me, When when shall he die and his name perish? And if he come to see me, he speaketh vanity, his heart gathereth iniquity to itself. When he goeth abroad, he telleth it. All that hate me whisper together against me. Against me do they devise my hurt. An evil disease, say they, cleaveth fast unto him. And now that he lieth, he shall rise up no more. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, which did eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. But thou, O Lord, be merciful unto me, and raise me up, that I may requite them. By this I know that thou favorest me, because mine enemy doth not triumph over me. And for me, Thou upholdest me in my integrity, and settest me before thy face forever. Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, from everlasting and to everlasting. Amen and amen. So we got another short Psalm here, thirteen verses. Let's let's examine this chapter, and let's go through the verses and kind of see what we can learn about. David was talking about here. Now let's take a look at the first three verses uh, to begin with. And what we're going to see here is something that we see in a lot of David's songs, And that's a confidence that David has. Who does David have confidence in? Uh, what does he have confidence in? Let's look at this. He says, Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in times of trouble. He protects them, preserves them. They're counted among the blessed in the land he doesn't give them over to the desires of, the, of their foes and he sustains them on their sickbed and restores them from their bed of illness. So we see a lot of, a lot of things being said here about how we, uh, how we treat other people. But let me tell you a story that comes from the time of, of Adolf Hitler that'll help us understand this. Now there, in the time of Adolf Hitler when he was in power, there was a reverend by the name of Martin Niemöller and he was one of Adolf Hitler's least favorite people. Didn't like him. And so he had him arrested, and he was going to uh, put him on trial. He had been summoned to court. And the reverend did not know anything that was going to take place. He was afraid. He didn't know what to expect. He knew what kind of man Adolf Hitler was. And so he probably had some idea of what was going to happen. So he was afraid. He was, he was scared. And according to a writer by the name of Francis Gaye, He was being taken down a corridor to to the courtroom, and as he was led down this corridor, he heard a very low voice speak. And the the voice was quoting a verse from the Bible, and it was actually from the book of Proverbs, which was unusual because this word of God being spoken. Imagine that it would have been allowed. Shared in Latin, a language that Reverend understood. And so, as he was walking down this corridor, he heard the words "nomen domini Turis fortissimo." And the, immediately, upon hearing this, he, his fear, his worry, his anxiety, went away. This these words your these words come from is that that still still small voice that we read about. You know, who was it? It was actually a guard that was there in the court. And he had he had whispered this to him as he went by. And this is these are the words that he said, and it comes from Proverbs chapter eighteen, verse ten. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteousness runneth in the righteousness runneth into it, and it is safe. So those are powerful words. And in a, in a moment, where you're afraid and you don't know if you're going, to, you're going to be sentenced to death or you don't know what the future holds. You need something that you can hold on to. But if it's just, some, if it's just encouraging words, that's not, that's, not that, that's not going to be powerful for you. But if those words are tied to a person who has meant everything to you, like, say, for instance, our Father God and words that Father God has said to us, they're going to hold some powerful sway in our lives and for just a moment maybe heading down that corridor heading towards the courtroom this guy had forgotten he had forgotten what he needed to remember he had taken his eyes off where he was headed and he was thinking about what could possibly happen but then he heard those words straight from the word of god and his fear was dispelled and he knew that no matter what his circumstances he was going to be okay and that is our that is that is your joy and my joy right there. We know that no matter our circumstances, we're going to be okay. We know that no matter what happens in this world and in this life and in our relationships and and wherever we go, we know that we're going to be okay because of what He has promised us. Amen? So we have this underlying, undergirding uh, confidence that we're going to be all right, And that's what this reverend had. And this is the same thing that David had. And David was trying to explain. And David was trying to talk about here as well. See, this, this pastor, he got a renewed confidence in God. He remembered where his hope was. He remembered how big his God was. How many times do you need to be reminded how big God is? Usually about the time that your circumstance or your problem starts to get bigger than, than God is. In, in our minds. Now, it never is bigger than God, is it? It never is. But sometimes in the way that we think as human beings, it seems like it is. But what David had and what this pastor had, they had a a trust that was a sure trust. It wasn't a I-got-my-fingers-crossed-for-the-best kind of trust. It was a I-know-this-is-going-to-be-okay kind of trust. They had trust in the person that God was. They had trust in the power that God had. And they had trust in the presence of God. So they knew they were going to be okay. And even the circumstances they were going to go through weren't going to rob them of this. And something else that's easy to see as we, you know, sometimes even as Christians, I think we 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 question, is God on my side here or, or what? Because I don't really feel like he is today. And we've all had days like that. You know, is God really on my side and and and, you know, brothers and sisters, this is when we need to go to the Word of God and look again at what He says about us and how much He says He loves us and that He is on our side. God is for us. God is with us. And these verses that we just read help us to know that. Um, it says here in, those fir- in the first verse, basically what it's saying is God is always on the side of those who cannot defend themselves. Now, have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you didn't have a defense? Have you ever been in a situation where you felt like you couldn't defend yourself? Well, that's okay because you know who your defense is. You know who is going to defend you. You know who your defense is. Who is your defender? Who is your redeemer? Who is your rescuer? Who is your restorer? He's all these things. And that's what this scripture tells us here. It says, Blessed are those... And th- and then he goes on to say that, that we kind of need to do the same thing that God does for, for these types of people. Let's look. Blessed are those who have regard for the weak. You, Lord God, bless everyone who cares for the poor. So we see that God always takes care of those who cannot take care of themselves. But then he also says, Blessed are those who do the same to other people. So... If we do these things, we're going to be blessed. And if you've ever studied the word blessed, you know that that means happy, joyful, uh, very content, many, many times over. And it's the same, same words that you'll find in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew where Jesus said, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And you take these two, verse, these two scriptures into account, the, the scripture that we just read in Psalm. And this scripture from Matthew, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And what that shows us is, and what that shows you and me, is how we are supposed to treat other people. And that how we treat other people is how other people are going to treat us. How we respond to other people is how other people are going to respond to us. Blessed blessed, are those who have regard for the weak. For Lord, you, Lord God, bless everyone everyone who cares for the poor so what we're what we're hearing here is is a, a, an idea that we see throughout the Bible um, what do you, what happens now, this may not be a good illustration but who has ever thrown a boomerang in here anybody I've got one person that's amazing two people anybody else raise your hand I. okay okay I have two okay did it come back to you? It's kind of, sort of. Did it come back to you? Well, you know what you're doing. I, I, I threw it and it just it went and never came back. This is not a good illustration. When you throw a boomerang, you're supposed to throw it and it's supposed to come back, right? Well, let, let's, let's talk about what the Bible says. Let's, let's put it in, in scriptural, scriptural terms. You know, we're going to reap what we sow, right? We'll reap what we sow. So these scriptures together tell us how we're supposed to treat other people and we can expect to be blessed by that. What we, what we sow, we will also reap. And I also think that when we, when we lift the burdens of other people, I think a lot of times we'll find our own burdens disappearing and our own burdens going away. But this psalmist is very confident that blessing awaits those people who imitate the Lord. It is in the Lord's heart to to help those who are in need. And if we imitate that, and if we do that as well, then it says here, the Lord will bless that. So how do we respond to people in need? How do we respond to the weak? How do we respond to needy people? How we, in turn, determine some of the blessings that God wants to give you and me as well. And then verse 3 says, and gives us the picture of, of the Lord as our great physician, as one who sits by your bedside and takes care of you, one who administers uh, healing and, and, and whatever it takes to get you better and to make you feeling well again. And He's going to continue to do that. He's going he's to sustain you. He's going to dispense that tender, loving care in those moments that you're sick. So it's just a testimony of what we can expect from a loving God, for those that are sick, for those that are poor, for those that are needy, and we've all been there, then the Lord cares for them because they cannot care for themselves. He cares for us because we cannot care for ourselves. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. He took care of our sin, which we could not do ourselves. That's who our God is. So then let's go to the next verse, verse number 4. And verse 4, we see a, a, an admission or maybe even a confession here, if you want to call it that. He says, have mercy on me, Lord. I have sinned against you. I have sinned against you. So we see him confessing here, something that's very important, agreeing with God that what I have done is wrong. I have done it and I've tried to hide it. And it was wrong in trying to hide it. It was wrong that I did it. I have sinned. Hear, hear me. I have sinned, and I know that I have sinned. You know, I was reading about. Uh, there's always there's always a good joke about four preachers that get together and and talk about stuff. And usually there's a there's a Baptist and a Lutheran and a Methodist. I'm not going to go there. But let's just say there were four preachers got to get talking together one day, and one of them said, "You know, everybody comes to us, and they tell us about." problems and they, they tell us about their sins and they confess things to us and they tell us their needs and and you know we ought to do the same thing to each other, don't you think? After all it's in Scripture. we should do that. And after a while they all agreed, yeah, yeah, I think it might be helpful if, if we as four preachers talking together did that for one another. So one of them said, Well I'll get started and I'll tell you I'll tell you what I need to confess. Every now and then I like to gamble. And so to the casinos and I gamble. And I just feel a need to confess that to you here today. And the second pr- uh, preacher said, well, I guess I'll go next. Every now and then I like to take a little drink, maybe a little more than I should. I like to get a little merry sometimes. And, uh, and I feel like I need to confess that to you all here tonight. And then the third comes up and says, well, I guess my problem is that I like to play cards. And sometimes I, I let it uh, get to be too of a thing in my life, and it becomes a problem, and uh, I wanted to confess that to you all. And then the fourth one, you know, got kind of quiet, and, and they said, well, what do you want to confess? And he wouldn't confess anything. And they kept talking, we've confessed, you need to confess too, we have much better having shared this with each other, and we can help each other. And the one looked up at him, and he said, well, i tell you what my problem is, my problem is gossiping, and I can't wait to get out of here. Confession is good. It is good that we confess and agree with God when we have when we've made a mistake, when we've when we've sinned. But a lot of times, in Scripture we get the idea and the impression that sickness and sin are very closely tied together, and eventually uh, that idea caught hold to the point that the New Testament began to be written. The idea was, well, yes, yeah, sin, sin and sin and and there was And there was an idea and a thought that if you were sick for some reason or if there was an ailment that you had, that it was because of some sin that you were the way that you were. And there may be a, a measure of truth to that. I mean, if you think about it, if you, if you are an alcoholic and uh, you, you can't control your drinking, then certainly you're going to have some physical problems. Uh, the extra drinking alcohol uh, excessively can damage just about every organ in your body. So it's going to affect your lifestyle. It's going to affect your health. So in a way, you can see how the sin of indulging in alcohol and excessively indulging in alcohol can lead to problems in your life. Um, but would we say, is it punishment or is it consequence? Is it punishment or is it consequence? Something to think about. But something Jesus felt very strongly about, so much so that he told us about it, was that not all sickness is a result of sin. And we can see that in John chapter 9 when Jesus uh, was with the blind man. And you probably know this. I'm going to read some scripture here for you. As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, the man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in Him. So that the works of God might be displayed in Him. So there's, there's a possibility that whatever it is that I've got going on with me and you've got going on with you, God has allowed that because He's going to get glory from that. Now, knowing that, does it help, Is that a benefit to know that? Because a lot of people who are sick maybe have this guilt to that sickness that they've caused of what happened, something that they've done. And so not only are they carrying the the, but they're carrying the weight of the guilt as well. But didn't Christ die on the cross to take away the sin and the shame and the guilt? And so it's so easy for us to stand in judgment of other people. When he comes right out and says, hey, people are not people are not sick because of sin, this is why this person here is going through what he's going through, because I will receive glory from this situation. And that's important for us to know. Now, we're not told, you know, if the, the psalmist, when he's talking about his sickness, we're not told if it's a result of sin. We're not really given anything specific here, but what we do know is that he confessed that. He confessed this sin to God and that's a good thing for us to do it's a good thing for us to again a confession is agreeing with God I'm messing up here I have done wrong here I need to stop this and I need your help and, and I don't want to do this anymore Important, and it's good for us in the right context confession is, is good for the soul so we have an admission of of sin, a confession of sin, and, and the verse number four that we just read. Now let's move on to verse five verses five through eight. And he begins to talk about people that uh, that we may not care that much about. These are the schemers, the people who scheme us. He says, My enemies say of me in malice, When's he going to die? And when's he gonna perish? And when one of them comes to see me, he speaks falsely and he gathers information he can use to slander me, and then he goes out and he spreads it around. And then all my enemies whisper together against me, and they imagine the worst for me. And they say, oh, he's got a vile disease that's afflicted him. He is never going to get up from where he's down right now. And so he's got people that are coming and looking for, looking for tidbits of information that they can go out and spread around about him. You know anybody like that? Have, have I, have you or I, have we ever been that type of person that went on a, a mission like that so that we could go and spread some information around? Um, the truth is always the best, right? It's always best to be truthful. Uh, but every now and then, the enemy will give us an opportunity to be a little schemer, to, to, to try to pull something And there's a great temptation for that many times. I read about a, uh, an actor uh, back in the 1920s. His name was Arthur Ferguson. And I had heard about him before. You may have heard about him. But this is not only an actor, he was a really good salesperson as well. And one day he was in uh, London. He was at Trafalgar Square in London. And this was in the 1920s. And there was an American there. And he was doing some sightseeing. And he was looking at a statue of Admiral Lord Nelson. And the American just really enjoyed this statue. And so Ferguson, who was an actor, mind you, he was an actor, he walked up to him and started talking to him about the statue. And he actually sold that statue for $30,000 to the American. And you got to understand, this was not his statue to sell. He just walked up and, and sold it to the guy. And he collected the money for the sale of the the statue. And you would think, well, he got away with it one time. He probably stopped there, didn't he? But we're talking about schemers here. He didn't stop there. He actually uh, went on to sell, I think, uh, he sold Big Ben for $5,000. He sold, he got a down payment on Buckingham Palace ten thousand dollars uh he sold the eiffel tower and uh, also the statue of liberty so he was he found a little scheme you know he he went out was being dishonest and he was benefiting from it for guess what happened the authorities caught up with him he was found guilty and for five years and you and and you think that was enough you think five years was enough punishment well when you hear may not he got out in 1930 and he moved to Los Angeles where he lived really in the lap of luxury till he died in 1930 with all the money that he made of those those uh, that he sold so he was a schemer and he was ripping people off and nobody likes somebody that schemes idea that they want to uh, say something bad about you, slander you, truths about you. And it seems like David had to deal with this a lot, doesn't it? I mean, we've read about that already. They go out and about me and they say things about me. But I guess when you're a king and you have that type of a position, those types of things can happen. And that's why if you are a leader, any type of leader, in a relationship with your heavenly Father to help you through this. And again, that's the confidence that David had, and that's why he was going to God about all this in the first place. And he had people coming to see him, it says. They were coming to see him, feigning interest, feigning uh, being concerned about him. And while they were there, they they were looking for information, and as soon as they left, they went out and slandered him. They went out and gossiped about him. And basically what they did is they kicked him while he was down there really to visit, to inquire about his health. They weren't there because they loved him and they were concerned about him. They were there scheming because they had joined forces with his son and they were looking for everything they could to tear him down. So things were bad, but they're about to get even worse as we look at verse number 9. It says in verse number 9 that even my close friend, somebody that I trusted, somebody who I shared food with, somebody who I shared bread with, has turned against me. And we hear that and we, we, we can relate to that uh, in a very powerful way because there is no betrayal like betrayal from somebody who you love, from a, from a close friend or from a family member that has betrayed you. You remember the story of uh, Julius Caesar in uh, and, and 44 B.C., they were trying to take him down. They didn't want him to be leader any longer. So they were going to kill him. They were going to assassinate him. And so a bunch of, of the, the leader uh, people had gotten together. And what he found out is that one of, his, one of his best friends, somebody who he favored as his own son, was one of those people that wanted to kill him, that had his knife raised to stab him. His name was Marcus Junius Brutus. And it tore Caesar up to the point, you know, he just pulled his robe over his face. I guess maybe he, he, if he was going to get stabbed, he didn't want to see this one that he had looked on as a son doing the stabbing. But we have, you know, have you experienced anything like that? Somebody that was a friend, somebody that, that you opened your home to or your heart to, and through a series of events, they end up betraying you, betraying your trust. Um, doing the exact opposite of what you ever, ever thought they would do. And that had to be how David felt with his own son, Absalom. I mean, this was his son. This was not just his son. This was his favorite son. And he was trying to take the throne from him. But it wasn't just his son. It was one of his trusted friends as well that we read about. His name was Ahithophel. And Ahithophel was the grandfather of Bathsheba. And they used to be really close, really good friends. But we read in 2 Samuel chapter 15 that it didn't end up that way because he joined forces with Absalom to take the throne from David. And when David heard that this had taken place, this is what he said. He said, Lord, turn Ahithophel's counsel into foolishness. So that nobody wants to hear what he has to say because they feel like what comes out of his mouth is foolishness. And what does this show you? I think it shows me that he was hurt so deeply that that his not just his son but one of his best friends would turn against him and betray him. He he wanted something bad to happen to him as well. He wanted him to experience uh, the heartbreak that David himself was experiencing. And these are just human emotions, are they not? I mean, how how are you going to feel in a situation like that? You know, we're supposed to we're supposed to bless those that that curse us. Pray for those that that wrong us. That's not easy to do, is it? Is our first thought to do that when somebody betrays us? You know, we've talked about this a lot of times. The first thought is how we're going to get them back. And I gave them so much of my stuff, how am I going to get all that stuff back? Or, you know, how can I how can I do to them what they to me? But is there a way to ask God and say, God, it's just so unfair. Whatever you right, do in this situation. If there's something that they need that you need to do to them, or if there's something they need to learn, a lesson they need to learn, just them to learn it. But God, take from me this animosity and this vindictiveness, and free me from that, and help me, allow me to forgive these people. But that's another psalm; that's not in this one. All right, let's move on. Let's look at verses number ten through twelve, and we're going to see we're going to see some requests that are being made. Verse number ten: But may you have mercy on me, Lord. He's requesting God to, gi- to give him mercy. He says, "Raise me up that I may repay them. I know that you are pleased with me, that because my enemy hasn't." Tra- over me and because of my integrity you hold me and set me in your presence forever so it's kind of like what we already talked about you know how do we respond how are we supposed to respond when we have somebody who's betrayed us how are Christians supposed to respond to anything that happens in our lives what do we do got any thoughts on that think about it go outside and kick some rocks around or some cans around for a little while Chop a tree down, wash the dog. What do we do? We need to pray, don't we? And that's and that's and that's a powerful. Thing. Because when we talk to God about things, He gives us the perspective that we need. And when we get into His presence, and we're in the presence of the One who is God, remember this: Who is always for us, never against us. God is always for us. He's always got our best interest at heart. And so David does this. He goes to God. He prays. He says, God, restore my health. Uh, give me an opportunity. Give me an opportunity if fit to right this situation, to right this wrong. And again, that may seem like he's being vindictive. But what David is longing for is something God longs for as well. And what is that? He longs for justice. He longs for He's longing for what is right. And then he says in verse 20, let me know that your presence is with me day after day. Day after day. So we don't really see Psalm, we don't see David veering off from what he's been doing in in some of the psalms in the past. He he is ready to, to give God credit. He is ready to ask God for what he does. And he is ready to tell God how he feels and what's going on in his life. And in doing all these things, He's showing you and me how we can go and how we can pray. And those are some of the things that we can learn, but there's some more I want to talk about in the next few minutes that we have left. Uh, the, verse, the last verse, verse number 13, look at that. You're going to see this again if we're allowed to make it through the book of Psalms. Verse 13 says, Praise be to the Lord, the, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. And in the book of Psalms, it's divided in, into five different sections. And at the end of each section, you have what's called a doxology. And so we have the end of the first section, chapters 1 through 41. We have reached doxology. And we will see this doxology at the end of the next four if we are allowed to do so, if, if we're allowed to for that. This is a, this is a good ending, uh, and... It, it may be a little, little off. Uh, it may seem a little off because it may. Have, this particular verse was added to the end just to give this a closing doxology, so that the next section could begin. But at any rate, uh, this th- you will see this verse again in some of the following psalms that we'll study. So, the last thing I want to say about this psalm, there is a there is a connection with Jesus. There is a connection with the Messiah in this chapter. And I want us to look at that. And I want you to actually go back to verse number 9. I want you to look at verse number 9 again. And verse number 9 basically says, Even my close friend, someone I trust, trusted, uh, one who shared my bread, has turned against me, hath lifted up his heel against me. Okay, so as you, as you hear that again, and as you think about the life of Jesus... Does this describe anybody that was in the life of Jesus? Was there one who betrayed Him? Was there one who He broke bread with? Yes, there was. We know who that was. He actually... He actually. Uh, I want to read from John chapter 13. He makes some, some uh, phrases here that I want to share with you. John chapter 13, beginning with verse 18. You don't have to turn there, but just listen as I read. I speak not of you all, I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come that when it has come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. So we read in John in the New Testament some Scripture that we just read and some in the Old Testament talking about he that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. So we see that those two verses, those two scriptures have that in common. But it's interesting that one part was left out and that was the part where he says mine own familiar friend, even my close friend, someone I trusted and whom I trusted. Now do you believe that Jesus knew Judas? Do you believe that Jesus knew Judas' father? Do you believe that as they walked together, as they ministered together, as they spent time together, do you believe that Jesus knew who Judas was? Do you think that the other disciples had any idea of who he was? Because a a good traitor, a good betrayer is able to hide those things, right? Like the guy who was able to sell the Eiffel Tower... And making people believe he owned them when he didn't. But Judas walked with Jesus. Why would Jesus have allowed that? Did Jesus not have called him out on that. You got any thoughts on that? Had to be the one to fulfill the prophecy. Absolutely. What, what could be another reason? Is there another reason? He loved him anyway. The fact... That that Jesus spoke a lot about the love of money. Did he not? In speak about that. He was hoping that Judas might possibly hear something, figure something with, him, cause him to see that the road that he was headed on. About all the thing, all the times that he had talked about hypocrisy. That maybe something stir the heart of Judas. And that he would he would change, because he somebody said it. He loved Judas. He he loves the world, and Judas was part of the world. And he knew what Judas was going to do, and he knew Judas's personality. But yet he still allowed him to be with him. He still allowed him to walk with them. And here's here's another important thing to remember. Because the scripture that we read here tonight talks about somebody who ate bread with me, but then he kicked his heels at me, and that speaks of a hurt and a betrayal that if anybody experiences that, it's it's it can be devastating. And Judas was that with Jesus. Judas walked with Jesus, Judas, ate with Jesus. So it was a it was a tremendous no, even though he knew that Judas did this thing. And, you know, it hurts when somebody kicks you with their heel, doesn't it? I mean, if you, we've all seen uh, TV shows. Uh, we've all seen uh, maybe sports events, I don't know, where somebody was on the ground they were in a ball in a fetal position and people were kicking them. And you know how hard that had to hurt, right? I mean, it hurts when somebody takes their fist and pops you in the chin. Or it hurts when maybe somebody elbows you in the rib. But your legs are powerful, are they not? Your legs hold the rest of you, right? There's some in there. And they can damage. So that's why vivid picture of what was what it felt like. Like somebody kicking you with their heel while you're standing down on the But here's something else that is interesting to take note of. Judas is not the one that took crown of thorns and shoved it down on Jesus' head. Was he? No, he wasn't. Judas was not the one that whipped him and beat him until his flesh off his body. Judas was not the one that the nails and the hammer and nailed his hands and nailed his feet to the cross, was he? He didn't have that type of physical contact with Jesus what was the only contact that had with Jesus? And, and just imagine, you know, I don't think we think about this a lot, imagine the betrayal that he felt, must have felt, must have experienced at what had been done to him. You know, we like to think positive thoughts as Christians. I'm not sure what I don't know what happened to Judas. I don't know what's I don't know what eventually happened. You know, we all have a good idea, don't we? Where he is and, and what happened. But one thing we can know for sure that if we have breath in our lungs, we there's hope that we can turn from our sin and turn. Do you believe that? So when we come in contact with living people. <laughs> That's really the only kind of people I want to come in contact with. Uh, you know, there's, there's an opportunity for us to say or do something that will show them and, and speak to them of the love that Christ has for them. And sometimes I think about, sometimes I think the consequences that I experience and the guilt that I feel are the times when I've had an opportunity to, to share the, the gospel or to share with somebody, and I haven't. I just didn't feel like it. Or I'm kind of mad at this person right now, and I don't want to talk to them about it. Let's be honest with you, I've, I've had those feelings before. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to take the time to do it right now. and And that bears heavy on a person when you realize you've done that. I know that God is big enough to save that person without me because I I don't do the saving anyway. I'm just a catalyst that He uses to say or do something get the word out. But it is God that does the saving. But my consequence of that is that there are times when I feel guilt, when, when you hear somebody that's passed away, you've probably felt this way, somebody that you had an opportunity to witness to but didn't, and now they're gone. And so it really it really kind of puts a fire up underneath you. You know, give a reason for the hope that you have be ready at all times. You know it doesn't matter if, you have, if, you've, or if you're upset at this person or if they've done something to hurt your feelings, or if you're tired, or if, if you've just talked to 10 people one more, you can't just, no, you, you be ready for anything at all times, and let God use you. And you know this 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 writer of this psalm, he he committed a sin, and he had to experience the consequences. And we think about what would it have been like if he had just not committed this sin. There would have been other sins. There were other sins, but because of that sin, this was the consequence of that. See, what happened was he kind of took his eyes off of what was going. Don't you think? I mean, he was at home. He was was maybe resting. Uh, he was slacking off a little bit and just happened to be looking out and there was a lady up on the roof taking a bath. And instead of looking to, to God to, to save him and help him in the situation, he, he put his eyes somewhere else. And you know, for some of us tonight, that might be where we're at. You know, we've kind of taken our eyes off our head and we've taken some of these little, sa- sa- I want to call them uh, satanic side roads that the enemy has, has offered for you know, I want you to come over here and I want you to worry about how big God is. And I want you to go over here and I want you to get involved in this because this will pull you away from church and you don't need to be there that much anyway. And I, wanna, I want you to go over here uh, because your family is getting a little too involved in, in the work of the church and I want them over here involved in something else. Or, you know, it could be any number of things. If we take those side roads all the time, we've got to remember where we're headed We've got to remember that the, the sins that we commit and the decisions that we make do lead to consequences. And even though the punishment has been taken for the sins that we have committed and will commit and they've been paid for on the cross at Calvary, there are still consequences that we will pay. And even in that, there's, there's, there's blessed hope and blessed peace because we go through them, through them with us. And even those consequences which He allows, and it has to go, remember what we said the other week, it has to go through God, and then it goes through Jesus, and then it goes through us, and it finds us full of Jesus. He goes through these things with us, and He will turn it around and make it something good. He's the only one that can do that. And David knew that, and he, and he was thankful that he had a relationship with God and that was the confidence that he had through everything that he went through. That's my confidence that I have, and that is yours. Hopefully, that you have as well. Let's all stand. I want uh, before we leave. I just mention a couple of prayer requests, and uh, just thank God for through her procedure yesterday. Uh, she got to go home this morning, and she is doing well. So keep Donna. Dallinger in your prayers. Also continue to pray for Tanya who is going through her treatments uh, and I think Monday of next week. Let's keep her in our prayers. Is there anyone else that would like to mention a a prayer request? I'll ask for unspoken requests at the end but does anybody have a spoken request? I'm going to start over here this week.